0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 Ninth Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, NinthAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. The Apostle Paul was in a bit of a hurry, but some things are worth waiting for. In Acts chapter 20, Paul found himself in the city of Troas, and even though he was in a hurry, he stayed there for a week before departing. And we might think that a bit strange. Why would he wait so long? And Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 helps to give us the answer. In that verse, we read, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. The church came together to break bread. We know that was more than just a common meal, late night meal, or maybe even breakfast, because the same terminology of breaking bread is found in verse 11 of Acts chapter 20, to talk there specifically about a common meal. And besides that, In a day and time when the church was known to meet daily from house to house, why would Paul wait a week just to have a common meal, a supper, or a breakfast, when the church seemingly got together all the time to discuss Scripture and to eat together? And the answer, of course, was that this was more than just some common meal. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul was saying the church came together to break bread, that is, to eat the Lord's Supper or to have, as we sometimes call it, communion. As those of you from Ninth Avenue know, on Sunday mornings this year, we are considering the words of Jesus. And we wanted to take one Sunday this year to focus on the words of Jesus specifically as he instituted the Lord's Supper. However, with the order of our worship services the way they typically we are, we would have already eaten the Lord's Supper before we studied the text. And so with that in mind, after some thought and conversation and prayer, the elders agreed that we needed to alter our order of services this morning just for this one time to help us truly concentrate on communion as instituted by the Lord. I think we can overstate Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 to say that basically the only reason the church came together was for communion or for the Lord's Supper. But if we're not careful... We can miss that Paul specifically mentions that particular act of worship for a very important reason. You know, we can sing to God at any time. We can pray at any time. In fact, we are commanded to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. We can study the scriptures at any time and we should individually as well as in groups and Bible classes and personal studies and private studies. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, When it comes to communion, the Lord's Day is the only time the church is approved to eat of that supper. And notice that that verse in Acts 20 and verse 7 tells us that they came together to do so. This is a very individual act in that I am individually communing with the Lord. However, it is also a very communal or congregational act in that we all are together professing our faith in what Christ did for us as we eat this very simple but very powerful memorial feast. And so we ask you this morning to take part in all the avenues of worship, obviously, as we should each and every Sunday. All of them, though, this morning will be focused around communion. For the next few moments, Brother John is going to lead us in a couple of songs that will help focus our minds on the Lord's Supper, we might say in general or generically, following those couple of songs, we'll have our prayer and our scripture reading And following that, I'll come back up and preach the first part of our sermon, where we'll focus on the body of our Lord Jesus. But for a few moments now, let's sing and think about the Lord's Supper together. 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth, a prophecy was given that has become one of the more well-known prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. And Isaiah, in part of that prophecy, wrote these words, But he was wounded... For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. You'll find those words in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. While blood has always been a part of God's plan for redemption, it is significant that the Lord's Supper begins by reminding us of the body of our Lord. It is a very real thing. As each one of us knows what it is like to cut our skin or to have some other reminder that we are very much mortal beings. But those words found in Isaiah chapter fifty three and verse five are so vivid. And certainly they remind us that Jesus did all of the all of this for us. He deserved absolutely nothing of what he received. He was sinless and completely innocent. However, in that verse, as well as the verses around it, we're also reminded that his body was truly made of flesh and that his flesh was torn in terrible ways. I want to focus on three words from that prophecy from Isaiah, those that one verse, and tie it to what Jesus said as he instituted the word supper. Consider the word wounded. The word found there can also be translated as pierced. It can also, interestingly, be translated as tormented, The wounds that Jesus bore were very real. Each time they struck him on the head while that crown of thorns was there or whether it was not, it wounded his head. Each time the crossbar that bore down into him as he carried it part of the way to Calvary, it wounded him. And when you see that the word can also be translated as pierced, that certainly brings to mind the picture of the sword being placed in his side, To, in a physical way, end his suffering. And on and on we could go with the very simple word of being wounded, though the concept is not simple in the least. Consider the word crushed, or as the King James Version has it, bruised. The same Hebrew word, by the way, is found in Psalm 72 which was a poetic prayer that Solomon wrote to God. And in Psalm 72 and verse 4, Solomon said of God, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. I think in some ways we may be able to get a better understanding of the meaning of that word from that verse in Psalm 72 because we can get a picture of a military victory that is crushing to the opponent. But in Isaiah chapter 53, that is the word used to describe what would happen to the one sometimes called the suffering servant. What would happen to Christ. The word literally means to be broken into pieces. I don't wish to overstate anything. But it is hard to make what happened to the body of Jesus too graphic. It is hard to overstate what happened to our Lord. And we know that in part because of what was said just a few verses earlier in this same prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, which actually begins back up in Isaiah chapter 52. Because in Isaiah 52 and verse 14, listen to these words. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. The Living Bible paraphrases that middle phrase this way, so disfigured one would scarcely know it was a person standing there. And another paraphrase simply words it this way, he didn't even look human. All the pictures, all the paintings we might put on PowerPoint to focus our minds on the cross, let me put it this way, all of them we choose or all of them we see have been sanitized. All of them have been cleaned up from what Jesus actually looked like as He was there on the cross. Though we know internally not a bone was broken inside of His body. That was prophesied and it did not happen. He did not have a bone broken. His visage, His countenance was marred and it was crushed virtually beyond recognition even of humanity. But third, consider the word stripes. With His stripes we are healed Interestingly, the New American Standard Bible translates that phrase as by his scourging we are healed. But that may be too much interpretation rather than translation. I've been told by those who study the Hebrew language that the word translated stripes in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 could also be translated by a singular word like stripe or bruise. That indicates the effect on the body of Jesus, not just the process that brought it about. But the idea is the same. But consider the import of the fact that it could be a singular word, stripe or wound. The body, the physical body of our Lord was so marred, so crushed by the scourging and all the other events leading up to and through his death that it was as if he had one large stripe, one large bruise over his entire body. As Brother VP Black used to say it, it was as if the shoulder blades of our Lord were white-capped mountains in the midst of a sea of blood. That passage from Isaiah provides so much to our thoughts and provides so much to our emotions. When we read that Jesus broke the bread before giving it to his disciples in that upper room, as Trey read for us from Luke twenty two, verse nineteen, just a moment ago. We're not commanded to, to break the bread in some symbolic way or actually take our fingers and break it in that way. We break bread simply because we're commuting together, using the terminology in that way. But the fact the simple fact that the bread we eat in the Lord's Supper is more like a thin wafer or a cracker that breaks so easily brings those words from Isaiah 53 far more clearly into our mind. But with that in mind, consider exactly what Jesus said. In Luke 22 and verse 19, when He said, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Jesus did not focus in these words upon the brokenness that would come upon His body. He didn't focus at all on the suffering that was to come. Instead, He stated His body was given for us. Folks, that's awe-inspiring on any level. But it's even more so when we do pause and realize and focus upon the suffering that Jesus' physical body did go through, leading up to and on the cross. In just a moment, we'll be eating that bread. And as we do, I pray that we will remember not just those three words from Isaiah's prophecy, wounded, crushed, and stripes, but we'll also remember just one word from the lips of our Jesus, given. His body was given for you and for me, even though it was wounded, crushed beyond human recognition, so that we could look more and more like Him each and every day that we live. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. From the sacrifices of the Old Testament to the ultimate and greatest sacrifice made by Jesus. The story of the Bible is one that contains blood throughout. It is not a story to be cleaned up or sanitized from that fact. And while at times the amount of blood shed in the Bible can be almost repulsive to us in a way, it reminds us of so many very important things. It reminds us of the stain of sin Blood is not easy to get out of clothes or fabric. It, it stains. But each time we sin, we should feel a much greater and deeper stain on our soul. Because sin stains us with something far more awful than physical blood can stain a piece of clothing. Jesus shed his blood for all mankind because all men, all people, have sinned. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Because there is none who is righteous. Righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. And Jesus shed his blood for all mankind for all time. And all the sin was placed on him and it had to be removed. The idea of blood also reminds us of the concept of life for life. Sometimes I'm afraid that we... Only focus on that concept in, in a physical sense. By means by that I mean we sometimes argue for things like capital punishment or whatever on the on the concept of life for life. But in a spiritual way, our sin costs us life. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah chapter fifty nine, verse two tells us that, but it also reminds us in verse one that God will save us. But sin should cost us a relationship for all eternity. Sin is separation. Death, excuse me, is separation. Sin separates us from God. But Jesus gave the blood of His life to save our spiritual lives. The absolutely only reason, the only reason we have a hope of eternal life in heaven is because Jesus was our substitute and shed His blood. It was life for life. But it also reminds us that we live under a better covenant. When we read the Old Testament, And see, all of those animal sacrifices, it can turn our stomach a little bit. So much death and so much blood. But you and I do not have to bring an animal sacrifice each Sunday on the Lord's Day. We don't have to bring one each year on the Day of Atonement, as they did in the Old Testament under the Law of Moses. We have nothing like that. Listen to what the Hebrews writer reminds us of in Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, with the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? Who through eternal spirit, the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament were needed in their time, but we have something eternally better. Jesus made one sacrifice, that of himself, and that's all we need. But it took blood, and that blood was his own. And so, in just a moment, we will drink a, bit, a little bit of fruit of vine, because it was the symbol that Jesus Himself chose for us to remember His precious blood. But again, if you think about what He said in Luke twenty-two and verse twenty, notice the emphasis: this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood for you. It's hard to grasp just how much blood Jesus shed and spilled in the events leading up to the crucifixion, from the beatings to the scourging to carrying that old rugged cross. And then on the cross, the blood as we sang a few moments ago that flowed from his hands, his head, his feet, his side. Ultimately, of course, his side was pierced. And seemingly all the lifeblood flowed from his body. But it was done for you. It's why Paul reminds us that we might give our life, we might shed our blood, if you will, for a good person. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. And when Jesus died, he gave it all. And he gave it all for you. Carved into the front of the table from which the Lord's Supper is served each week, of course, are... The final words of Luke 22 and verse 19 from the King James Version, this do in remembrance of me. Our goal this morning in having our service structured this way was to help us all to follow that command a little more easily. Of course, we should always be focused on Jesus and the cross and all those things as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We pray that doing this in this fashion this morning has helped each of us do that maybe just a little bit more easily. There are some in the religious world who suggest that eating the Lord's Supper each and every week just simply does not help with focusing our mind on what we're really doing. They suggest that because we do that each week, it can become boring or routine or just rote. And I don't think there's any of us who would say that at some point in our lives we we have not struggled with that. As glorious and as wonderful as the Lord's Supper is, it can become just part of a routine if we're not careful. Just something we check off our list each and every Sunday. That is, until we really think about that word, remembrance. As is obvious from that word, it obviously means to call to mind, to remember again. You could actually translate the word as recollect. But there's something very interesting found in that word remembrance. And I pray it's something we keep in mind each Lord's Day as we partake of the Lord's Supper. The root word of that term is the word from which we get our word amnesia but then it has a prefix that makes it a negative what jesus was basically saying was that this supper is meant to be eaten so that we might avoid amnesia of him we began in acts chapter 20 in verse 7 where the christians came together on the first day of the week and they did so in order to break bread to eat the lord's supper Today in our world, someone to take of this supper monthly or quarterly or yearly or just for some special service or just whenever. Scripture, by that apostolic example, makes it clear that we should eat the Lord's Supper each week. And so we do so in order to be obedient. But couple that with the simple fact that this is a memorial to help us never forget Christ. To never have amnesia of what He has done for us. He gave His body... And it was marred beyond comprehension for me. He shed all of his blood and he died for me. Why would I not want to remember that every single week? And when I grasp just what he did for me, how could I, how could I ever have this part of our worship service become routine or boring? We do this So we don't have amnesia of Christ. And we do so to remember why he went through all of this. Given for you. In a parallel account of our scripture reading, Matthew records that Jesus said that the blood was shed for the remission of sins. That terminology comes forward to us, of course, when Peter told those on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The word remission, some translations have forgiveness, literally means to be liberated from. It is only baptism of all the parts of the plan of salvation that connect us directly to Calvary, And connect us directly to the blood that takes sins away, that remits our sins, that offers us liberation, freedom from sin. And so, it is only those who have been baptized for the forgiveness of sins who can truly appreciate and make the connection between this very simple meal and what it means. The Lord's Supper one of five avenues of worship. We teach our children those five avenues of worship and we partake in each part of them each and every week. But oh, may we never forget that He was given for you. And as simple as it is to pass some trays and to take some bread, as simple as it is to pass some trays And drink a little bit of the fruit of the vine. May we never, ever have amnesia for what he did for us. Have you come to Calvary? Have you allowed the blood that he shed for you to wash away your sins? In a moment, Brother John is going to lead us in the great song. Kneel with the cross to remind us that we can still come to Calvary where cleansing is found because Jesus gave His body and shed His blood for you. As a Christian, are you living in such a way that you are showing what He did for you? If not, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.